This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Great instruction gets students engaged. TeachFX equips teachers with the instructional strategies and job-embedded feedback they need to get students engaged in virtual or in-person classes. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have Dr. Michael Robinson on the program today. Dr. Robinson is on a mission to ensure that all students and educational practitioners receive the best experience in educational technology that will ensure immediate and future success in the real world. He believes in forming long-lasting partnerships with school districts and educational professionals in order to meet all students' individual needs and the continuous promotion of differentiated learning. Proximity Learning, where he is Vice President of Sales, is is an online education service company serving over 150 school districts and instructing over 50,000 students annually. They've been in virtual learning space for 10 plus years, and their leadership team is made up of former teachers, principals, superintendents, and others who see this as an opportunity to really make a difference in the education space as a whole. Dr. Robinson, thank you for joining us on Transformative Principle today. I'm excited to talk with you today because virtual learning is a big deal, but Proximity Learning has actually been involved in virtual teaching for a number of years. So can you talk first about that idea about having virtual teachers employed in a regular brick-and-mortar school even before the pandemic? Oh, yes, absolutely. So one of the things is if you've been following education, one will know that we have an extreme teacher shortage in this country. I say between the 1920 academic school year, we were expecting 225,000 teachers short in America. And that is all due to the fact that the colleges of education are not graduating enough students into the field of education to take on the classes that baby boomers now who are retiring, take it on. So in 2021, we knew there was going to be a 300 to 350,000 gap in teachers. But with the advent of COVID, it had even expanded even more. But nevertheless, to say that 
we had had engagements because it's very hard to find certified teachers in science, mathematics, world language, and so forth, and also in special ed. Those are the four areas that we saw that there was an inordinate and exacerbated amount of teachers who were actually needed. So many school districts across the nation would call proximity learning because what we do is we find highly trained teachers who are certified, who have five years of experience. Most of them have their master's degree and can roll right in and teach those respective courses. Yeah, that's good. A couple of years ago in Alaska, we could not find any PE teachers. And talking to an old guard PE teacher up there, he told me that the Alaska colleges stopped offering physical education as a major in their schools of education. At one point, you couldn't throw a stick in a room without having someone with a PE degree catch it. And now nobody has a PE degree and we couldn't find somebody to teach our students and had to go with a long-term substitute teachers instead, which that year happened to be both of them were English teachers. <laughs> and they, so they weren't really equipped to to do that effectively and they did the best they could, but it would have been a lot better to have have someone who knew what they were doing with that group of kids. Mm-hmm. Now when you when you talk about virtual teaching, that means that that person doesn't actually come there, that they are in a different place. How does that work with supervision of students in the actual classroom? Okay, so you're absolutely correct. A teacher could live in Spokane, Washington, but actually be teaching a course in Chicago. So we use an LMS uh, system, and we also use virtual video conferencing software to make the magic happen. Just like any other place where a student would actually sign in, just like how we're signed into our conference right now, the teacher would manage it. The classes, the class size cannot go over 30. So it pretty much follows a brick and mortar situation where you have 30 or less kids in a classroom to ensure that students are actually getting the necessary attention that they need. And also as far as classroom management, when they're online at home, it's actually pretty easy because that student is in a onesie environment and there may be 25 or 30 of them coming to you together. But if they're in a classroom situation, we would actually have a facilitator in the classroom that would manage all the classroom management, making sure that students actually log in, that they have the computer set and so forth, and go along the lines of differentiating instruction where the online teacher would direct them. So that's how it's actually set up. Yeah, a few years ago, I was the person in charge of distance learning for my district in in Utah. We had a teacher who was in one physical classroom teaching sign language to students in different classrooms at the same time. And it just takes a a different way of approaching the problem and thinking about the skill sets you need to manage that. But we did the, the same thing with facilitators in the classroom to help support the students. I know that you guys have been doing this for a long time. This has been in existence for a long time. And over time, I think more schools are going to appreciate and move to this kind of a model even after COVID has passed. But let's talk about how synchronous learning can provide some benefits through a virtual program like this, where if a school district doesn't have AP classes or sign language, it's pretty tough to get a sign language class or a foreign language teacher to go in somewhere. 
especially if you don't have that many, but if you could get one section of that could bring in some support. So talk a little bit about the power of uh, this kind of synchronous learning approach that you you guys do. Uh, The beautiful thing about in the case of synchronous learning is that like what you just said, if you have onesies or twosies and you don't need necessarily a full-time teacher to teach the respective course, you can just select, say, hey, I just need one section of AP physics. I need one section of AP chemistry. As whereas it would be extremely hard to get an AP chemistry teacher to come and work in your school district for a full-time assignment. But with proximity learning and with a synchronous environment where we're delivering instruction via the internet, we can actually go out and find that teacher that's willing to take that section. Because remember, the teacher is not an employee of the district. The teacher becomes an employee of proximity learning. That's the first thing. The second thing is for a school district, you're able to expand your offerings where you would just be limited because you're in a brick and mortar environment and you have to find teachers who are willing to be in your locale in your geography. Yeah, that's really important. And this brings up the idea of like the gig economy that, you know, is is changing how work is done. And there's this this big thing, I think it's Prop 20 in California that mm-hmm. we're recording this before that gets passed or not. And that's going to determine how those people are categorized as employees. And we're not going to go into that whole discussion here, but it, it opens up the opportunity for schools to take advantage of that kind of stuff and and bring those extra opportunities into their schools when they wouldn't be able to in the past. And I really think, especially with COVID, it's showing that there's there's some things that schools are really good at and some things that where they're just dropping the ball for certain families. And those families are going to go look other places. And in Alaska, where I just came from, you know, some districts are reporting up to 14% of their student population has left to go do homeschooling or go to a private school or something else because of the coronavirus situation. And as far as funding goes, that's really tough. So we've got to do things to bring those kids back. So I think virtual learning is going to be a part of that in the future. Can you talk a little bit about some best practices for remote learning that people should be implementing in their school, especially now? Yes. So one of the best practices is for virtual learning, synchronous versus asynchronous. Um, Asynchronous learning Basically, the student is on their own. But in a synchronous environment, the student still gets the direction of the teacher. I am of the mindset that there is a certain subset of students who definitely need synchronous learning because they need concepts explained to them. They, they need to be in a classroom where a teacher can actually differentiate instruction. In an asynchronous environment, you can't do that. The other thing is that In a virtual environment, one of the best practices first is to make sure that students have connectivity. So it may mean that a school district will have to send hotspots out to each home. Also, the other thing is in a virtual environment is that students will need some kind of computing devices. Depending on what school district you're in, what zip code, what locale you're in, those things may not be necessarily available. But districts must ensure that students have those. And the other thing that's very important is that to make sure that you have a cadre, a team of teachers who can actually teach in the virtual environment. 
that means that they have dexterity with computers. They have to have dexterity working with an LMS. They have to have that dexterity when it comes to working with a system such as Canvas, Google Classroom, or WebEx, or so forth, and all of those different types of tools that we use to protect oneself over time. Those are some of the, the best practices. And then also each school district needs to have a remote learning action plan. If this, then that. If this, then that. So those are just a few. I could go on and on and on and on and on because I work in the environment. There are so many different things that you have to have in place in order to make virtual learning come to life for students and work uh, for them. Yeah, you know, one of the things that people have talked a lot about missing out on is that connection with students. And it's possible to still have a connection with students in a virtual environment, but you have to approach it differently because you're not going to be there physically. And some teachers in some virtual environments have never seen or never met their students in person. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says Stop Talking and Start Doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. I created a new podcast with my friend Frederick Lane called Cybertraps. We are exploring the myriad risks and adverse consequences that can arise from the use and misuse of digital devices and electronic communication tools. Please subscribe to the Cybertraps podcast, and if you like it, please give us a rating. Here's an excerpt from an interview with Eric Stevens on the value of identity and being ethical in our work with underserved populations. If I approach my research with the intention of helping a group of people, but I'm using the data that they themselves have created and have been replicated by their their own personal identity, replicated over and over and over and over, my research is already flawed ethically. Some people, that's not a big thing. For me, it was problematic because I didn't want to feel like I was exploiting people, but I still wanted to help. What I ended up creating was I wanted to understand the prison system at the language level across time. Um, and across space in the United States. Um, Basically, I wanted to understand if we send a person to prison, we're sending them to a correctional facility um, with correctional officers, and we give them handbooks to say, hey, this is what you should be doing. What I wanted to answer was at the language level with the technical documents that we hand to um, an inmate, what are we correcting them to? 
to what standard are we asking them to be at the language level? Check out more from this interview at cybertraps.com slash seven. So how do you build that connection and community with students um, and with each other in that type of an environment? Well, one of the first things is it's just like if you look at teacher evaluation, I just use the Danielson framework, but it doesn't really matter if you use a Marzano, Danielson or any of the other ones. But in Danielson domain two, which all talks about building rapport and respect with students. First thing is in a virtual environment, if it's synchronous, just like how we are actually having this conversation right now. I get to see my students. Students get to see me. I get to see their names. I get to call up on them. I get to learn their strengths, their weaknesses. Also, you know, during the parent-teacher conferences, those things happen virtually as well, where the teacher can actually see the parent, the parent can see the teacher. It's at basically the same concept of being in a brick-and-mortar environment. It's just that that teacher and that student is on the screen, and they're drawing the connection that way. The other thing is that different students have different ways of communicating. Some students will talk to you vocally over the screen. Some students will like put a chat in the chat box. Some students will email you. Some students will use the tools inside the virtual environment to raise a hand. So a teacher has to be able to figure out how that student likes to communicate. And especially when we start getting with the older students, when you start putting them in groups, which you can put them in chat rooms, when you start employing tools such as games to actually make it a gamified environment where they can compete in teams, that's how you build respect and rapport with the students in a virtual environment. And, and those things are really important. I'd also like to ask, when it comes to those different ways that kids communicate, I'm really glad you brought that up because in a classroom, it's pretty much go talk to the teacher. And in a virtual environment, you actually have more options. Kids who are shy or who wouldn't say anything. I had a, a, a student at my middle school who never, never said anything to me. And when I came and tried to talk to her, she would like one or two word it and then be gone. You know, she had her hair hanging in her face the whole entire time. I thought she hated me because of how she treated me. And then after I left, she wrote me a letter and she was gushing about how much I made her feel a part of the school, how much fun she had, how she said it was the best educational experience she'd ever had. Totally eloquent. Like, I didn't hear three words out of that girl for a whole entire year and a half. <laughs> and, and I get this letter that was just amazing. And it really emphasized to me that for that girl, school was not a great place to be. She didn't like it because she felt like she had to hide from everybody. But for her a virtual environment is way better because she doesn't mind sending an email or writing a letter. She just really struggled with that in-person communication. So I, I really appreciate that piece about letting the kids decide how it's best to communicate with you. And I hope that's something that when schools go back to school, they can bring that in and still allow that to happen. That, you know, if a kid needs to email the teacher or something like that, then they'll feel much more comfortable doing that. I think that's a benefit of this situation that we're currently in. Yes. So one of the other things that I want to talk about is what the future is going to look like. And we can't predict the future, obviously, but there are a few things that we can infer based on what we're experiencing. What are some of the things that you're seeing that 
are going to change the future of school and make it look differently than it does now? Wow. Well, the first thing is the fact that we do have a teacher shortage and that we do not have enough teachers graduating from colleges of education. So we're going to either have to do more with less or have to make education more enticing by offering more incentives to to people to go into education. But as far as technology, when you have learning management systems, you have virtual software that you can use, uh, such as Zoom and, and Google Classroom, all this stuff. All of these things are going to be used even more. And COVID-19 kind of just picked up the pace a little bit more. And just myself thinking, I mean, this is a radical thought, but maybe down the line, we don't have all the brick and mortar institutions that we have in a school district. And that this will become the future of education, that kids will either report to smaller silos or have the opportunity to receive education right from their desk at home. Those are the things that I see that's happening. That's what I see that's happening happening right now in this environment. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't look into the future, but I can just say what I see right now. And as we mentioned in the beginning, you guys have been doing this for a long time. And last year I was principal of a homeschool program where those students were signing up for courses with different vendors and different providers and things like that. But many of them had never met their teachers before and uh, in person and were getting a very good education, were being very successful. And so I agree with you that I think this kind of stuff is going to happen more often as well. The final question I ask, Michael, is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal? Well, in the virtual environment is, number one, open your mind. Don't necessarily think that everything has to be in a brick-and-mortar environment. I think that embracing technology, embracing synchronous virtual instruction is something that they all can do to be transformative. And to also don't look at this as a downer, but look at it as a positive. We're taking one step into the future and we will be able to customize students' uh, work according to the interests, map them with the appropriate teachers, even when we can't get them in the district, and also look at this from an equity perspective, meaning that we know that the two most important things in the classroom is the intended learner and also the person that's giving the information, which is the teacher. I would just say have an open mind towards synchronous virtual instruction can transform them and look at the best practices and say, hey, this is here. I've got to deal with it. And let's roll with it. Yeah, I, I think that's really good advice. And I want to bring up that piece about equity, too, and talk just a little bit more about that, because what equity allows, we always think in education mistakenly that equity means that everybody gets the same exact thing. And that's really not the case, that people should get what they need, not what everybody else is getting. And so I, I think that that piece is really important. And equity doesn't mean that everybody has, you know, an in-person, in the same physical space teacher 
it means that they're getting exposed to the things that they need. So what would you add to that piece about equity and and virtual instruction? Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, I can give you countless examples of school districts where courses are offered on one side of town and they're not offered on the other side of town. Now, some would argue that's equality. What I say is when you bring a highly certified, qualified teacher to students, whether in a rural, urban, suburban area, regardless of zip code, regardless of their social economic standards, you are hitting at the equity question. So, you know, kids who may not have had a strong math teacher, well, if they don't have a strong math teacher, you're not providing equity. But if you provide that strong teacher that's got five years of experience, it's got a master's degree to that group of kids because that's what they really need. And that not only is going to make the field level for them, but you're going to be able to put a box up under them regardless of one kid was five feet tall and can look over the baseball fence. But now you can make sure that all the children look over them. That particular piece is that if I started teaching in a uh, inner city school in Salt Lake City and there was very low SES groupings of kids in there. And what was interesting was that in order to make it a more inclusive environment, they brought the high achieving group, the gift and talented group to the school. And that was all well and good, except the difference is, is that none of the local area kids really got into that high achieving program. And so it became this, you know, it was basically two schools in one. There was the gifted program, and then there was the regular neighborhood school. And, right. you know, in an effort to make it more integrated and provide better opportunity, they brought that group in, but it didn't really work. So they changed what they were doing and said, we're going to become an IB school because we want to offer high expectations, rigorous curriculum to every mm-hmm. single student, not just to the gifted kids. And that was an, at least an attempt in the right direction. But what ended up happening was the two people who got hired a week before school was myself, a brand new teacher, and another brand new teacher who couldn't last through the school year. But what classes were we teaching? The regular neighborhood school classes. And the teacher with 30 years experience, who is my mentor, only taught the gifted and talented classes and because that was her reward for lasting that long, basically. So they did not have a strong English teacher my very first year teaching, I'm not going to lie. Wow. And I, I did the best that I could, but they would have been much better served, I think, with that other lady being the teacher or a more skilled teacher who'd been teaching for a number of years already. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Dr. Robinson, this has been great talking to you. Thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle and for sharing yes, your wisdom with us. No problem. No problem. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. School principals across the country are using TeachFX's virtual PD and job-embedded feedback to boost student engagement during COVID. 
With TeachFX, teachers get eight times more feedback and generate 144% more student engagement on average in a school year with no additional work for school leaders or teachers. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE.